What's going on, everybody? My name is Sarin, co-host of the Technological Podcast, and welcome back. In the third episode of this podcast, we bring on John Pavlinjak, uh, a current MBA candidate at uh, the Wharton School with Ubi, our other co-host. Uh, and we wanted to talk to John today all about startups. So he went to Notre Dame in undergrad, uh, graduated with a political science and, and computer applications degree, and then went to work at a bunch of different startups uh, like Flexport, Zora, and more. And so in this episode, you'll get to hear about his experience at these different startups, um, specifically within uh, different functions like sales or operations. Um, so you get to hear about those different kinds of functions. You also get to hear about things like compensation at startups, how sales and other functions work together as a startup grows, and what it's really like working at startups and being in the thick of it um, with only a few people. Uh, and really, the big takeaways here are following your passion uh, and going into a space where, number one, you feel like that, that company will really grow and, and you're following a leader who will do something big, but you're also passionate about that specific problem that the startup is looking to solve. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get into uh, this podcast. Uh, hope you all like this episode and please leave us any feedback. Um, we're open to, to hearing anything. Thank you. So uh, hello, everyone. We got an exciting guest on the podcast today, John Peplinjak. Uh, John's currently a first-year MBA student with me here at Warden, and he's going to talk about his background in startups and just the different roles he's played. So uh, good to have you on, John. If you just want to give like a quick background about yourself, and we'll just dive into it. Yeah, well, well thanks for having me here. Excited to join, Avi, and everyone else. Um, yeah, so my name is John Peplinjack. Um, most probably people just call me Pep for short. Um, again, yeah, first-year MBA candidate here at Warden. Um, focusing more on uh, entrepreneurship, innovation, and, and finance. And, um, you know, previously coming from a background of a bunch of different startups uh, in varying stages, um, from consumer to enterprise and from, you know, the apartment stage through to, you know, nearing an IPO. So, um, yeah, in varying roles as well. So I've had a I've kind of run the gamut as far as startup type and opportunities. So happy to talk about it today. Awesome. So I think we, we kind of just want to start off with, you know, like coming out of Notre Dame, what, what really drove you to startups first going into like the consulting or banking route? Um, so we'd love to learn more about that. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, it certainly was a consideration. I think as a, you know, you know, I think at Notre Dame, you're, you're sort of, you're certainly kind of nudged in that direction of consulting and banking and professional services. And, you know, obviously a, a very strong route for many to take. And, when I considered myself, um, kind of dabbled with more of the consulting side, my, my junior year, um, did not handle the, the, uh, the recruiting process totally appropriately. I was certainly underprepared. I was immature and, you know, it's all good. Um, but in the back of my mind, I always had this kind of entrepreneurial bug to kind of, or yeah, kind of bug to kind of get out of my system. So, you know, after graduation, I kind of just leaned into that and, uh, decided to move to, to Silicon Valley, um, kind of figure out what, what was entrepreneurship all about? Uh, what was this culture of innovation all about? I kind of want to see it firsthand. So I had like a few hundred bucks left to my name uh, after graduation. And, and I lived in this hacker house, this Airbnb hacker house in 2014, kind of just, just looking for a job and uh, had some things in process already, but there were certainly some hiring biases towards being in Silicon Valley. Uh, and then something landed. So my first job was um, 
at a place called Zora, now a public company out of school and, and in 2014, they're, they're so certainly mature, but probably I want to say in, in the range of like maybe $400 million valuation, but not entirely sure. Um, but yeah, first job in sales and um, pretty entry level stuff and, and, and lead generation. Um, and that was kind of my start, but that's how I got there. Cool. Yeah. We'd love to just dive more into that experience of like what it was like working at Zora as a fresh college grad doing sales right out of school. Um, would love to know like, you know, what, uh, it was actually like, what, what, like the entry level sales role is like, but also just want to know overall, like how was the startup experience? Um, and, and, and how'd you like it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think what kind of drove me to sales initially, well, some, you know, out of circumstance and kind of, you know, I, I didn't have a, a ton of options as far as what I could do in tech initially, right? I majored in political science and I did what was effectively, you know, a soft computer science supplementary major. Um, so I'm kind of this tweener for a lot of job requirements and I didn't come from a consulting background and all this stuff. So, you know, I kind of leaned on some mentors and, and reached out to people who I really admired and, um, try to figure out my place in tech. And you'll find a ton of more liberal arts focused people coming in from a sale, you know, entering into a sales background or sorry, entering into a sales position. Um, and so, you know, these tech startups, they have a ton of, um, they recruit, you know, heavily out of the UC schools. Um, and the ton, I mean, I'd say like half of my friends were like history majors or something. So um, yeah, it ended up being a really good fit. I mean sales you know as described to me was it's it's all about kind of communicating with other people to to earn their trust and to leverage your you know your knowledge and um credibility to get them to transact something and um i also was certainly driven by you know the the, the compensation structure for sales like if you work really hard you can make a lot of money um and that was something that was important to me so yeah, that, that's kind of how I started Zora. Um, and so for folks curious, like I, a lot of people enter in these roles called, you know, sales development or business development positions where you're focused on generating pipeline uh, for an organization. And, and, and frankly, I, I, I'd argue that um, generating pipeline is maybe the biggest issue that some of these huge software companies have. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a problem for every company, you know, up and down market, but even the Zoras of the world. So um, yeah, enter that role. And a lot of it is, you know, cold emailing, cold, pro you know, prospecting, cold emailing, cold calling, um, and just trying to figure out what, you know, say a VP of marketing is wants, uh, or a VP of finance is looking for, uh, to, to help them do their jobs better. Awesome. And, and to, to kind of build on that. So I know, I know a question I get uh, pretty often from some of our listeners is, you know, for someone like yourself, who was uh, maybe not a, a technical major, right? You said political science, you, you sounds like you dabbled into some technical things. Mm -hmm. um, jumping into Silicon Valley coming to, to Zora, uh, you know, people might be afraid of, of not having that technical knowledge, right? Or, or knowing how to operate within a tech company and have credibility and, and respect, right? Um, how did you kind of build that? Or how did you start to feel comfortable when you joined to really, uh, you know, garner that respect and, and uh, grow? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, I think 
you know, Zor in particular was really well equipped to, to train their people. And it was, you know, Zora sells a pretty complex, uh, you know, fintech product, right? They're trying to, you know, you know, um, make subscription billing super easy for all kinds of businesses. So, um, yeah, one thing that these Silicon Valley companies get really right really well is they, you know, the sales enablement is on point. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be too worried if you're new and know nothing about fintech or you know nothing about, you know, I know cloud infrastructure, right? You can you can figure it out. You don't need any, you don't need to have any computer science background. Um, but what's more important is that you kind of know how to communicate with people and you know how to listen and like actually like care about somebody. It's half the battle, frankly. Um, but yeah, with sales, you get to learn. You you, you see firsthand and on the ground what the value drivers are in a business. You see and hear what the customers are saying. And so you are on the front lines of what the market needs uh, and wants. And uh, I think for a junior person out, coming out of school and, and you're sharp and you're motivated to do well, I mean, you can kind of do whatever you want, frankly, if you, if you create your own path and people give you opportunities. Just prove you're an asset internally. Um, so you don't have to do sales forever. You don't you can do a lot of things, but a good start for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, no, that's really good to hear. It seems there's like a, a big emphasis on hustle, right? You come in, you have to hustle really hard. You do the cold calls, the cold emails, you prove yourself. Um, so I'm really interested in, so you say you got your start in sales, but how did you kind of think about your career after Zora? So I saw that you jumped to, I believe, Spreecast, right? Yeah. After Zora, and then Flexport, like really good, big brand name startups or well, brand name startups today. So I would just love to hear like how you kind of thought about that path. And then even like a lot of people will be jumping jobs in the future. So how you thought about like which job to take, which company to take and how you kind of made that decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at a high level, I did have a lot of job hops and it's certainly a hard conversation when applying to school. It's like, or any jobs, like why do you have six jobs? Um, that could be a really long answer, but the short answer is, at least for that transition to Spreecast, look, I, I came to Silicon Valley, I said, to like figure out what entrepreneurship is all about, what, what drives the spirit of innovation. Um, and, you know, I, I think I had my first real taste of that uh, in the job that followed uh, Zora. And I, I was only Zora for like, you know, five months or something. But there's this guy named Jeff Fleur, and, and Jeff Fleur is actually, he was the founder and CEO of StubHub. Um, and uh, Wharton undergrad himself. And he was uh, in the early stages of Spreecast, which is the social video broadcasting platform. So think like a Google Hangouts um, that's more interactive, right? Uh, if you guys are familiar with what Clubhouse is doing or, or House Party, right? The idea of more spontaneous communication um, with other people around topics and that, that interests you. So um, frankly, there it was like, look, I wanna, how, I don't know if there's a much better opportunity to learn from someone like that uh, who's been there and done that and build stuff. So it was a small startup at the time, like 20 people. And I just came in more as a generalist and, um, and kind of hacked away at random problems, but more focused again on kind of just experimenting with, you know, these business models we we're testing um, from, you know, a, a subscription, you know, kind of, sub yeah, subscription model for like Zoom or something um, to figuring out other kind of you know, affiliate partnerships we could try in, in the podcasting space. Um, 
yeah, yeah, learned a lot there. And that was, that was the reason for that jump. And then to others, like to Flexport, you know, it's recast was, you know, I think you, you kind of wake up, there's a wake up call. Um, there was a, certainly a wake up call for me where some startups don't quite work out, right? And unfortunately, Spreecast was, wasn't quite going to work out. Um, and the value I was adding, you know, wasn't pushed the needle anymore. Uh, so the company kind of pivoted and focused more on the technology uh, we were building, right? Uh, shifting more from a, a desktop focused version to being on mobile, like, like a house party. Um, yeah, no, I love my, my time there. And certainly learned that, you know, very powerfully Silicon Valley is about experimentation and venture capital funds number of experiments, but there's only so many experiments you can run. Um, and certainly, you know, worthwhile experiments. Um, and, you know, uh, we had product market fit maybe today, but maybe we're a bit early then, you know, so a lot of lessons there. Yeah. Flexport, you know, they took off um, and kind of returned back to um, building kind of pipeline at Flexport. Um, worked with a mentor of mine to really initiate the kind of sales development funnel um, in identifying prospects and, you know, creating basically email sequences and, um, you know, phone, you know, cold calling strategies that could, that could be used at scale. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot there, but uh, yeah, that gets us in the right direction. There's a lot of, there's actually a lot of goodness in, in what you said. And uh, I think two big takeaways from, from your experience is the first one, like when you, when you uh, moved over to, to your first or to the startup after Zora is just like following people is actually a pretty powerful thing. And, and, you know, if there's somebody that you admire, somebody that you think has done some, some really cool things and, and they're almost like a great mentor to you or, or somebody that um, you think is super successful, like following those kinds of people. I've heard tons of people do that in their career um, and they've had a lot of success doing that. Um, and then the second thing that, that I noticed is pretty interesting is uh, startups, startups can fail. And I think, you know, a, a lot of people coming out of college and, and undergrad um, specifically, you know, that their mindset is like, oh, you know, I want to go the more conservative route, work at a bigger company, work at a, at a, at a, a consulting firm. Um, cause that's generally what, what people do. And people are a little scared of startups because startups are, are more risk or higher risky or higher risk. So, um, I just want to like, like dive a little deeper and understand what was going through your mind when, when your, that startup was going under and like, what was the culture? Like, what was everybody thinking? Like, like what was happening at that time? Yeah. So, I mean, with Spreecast, you know, the culture was awesome. And, you know, and Jeff is a leader I really admire. And I admire how he handled all that because he had been there and done that. He had already founded a very successful multi-billion dollar startup, right? Um, so you're, you're right. I mean, I think there's nothing, there's few more, you know, impactful things you can do than to kind of, you know, watch how someone's super impressive and competent and, and super ethical handle these problems, right? And, and in the case of Spreecast, you know, they did keep going on after me for a little bit. Um, but again, the business model changed. We weren't trying to sell subscriptions anymore. Um, and that's kind of where I was, that was my job, trying to figure out how we can sell this thing. Um, 
but you know, you, you, you saw, yeah, like a leader in Jeff and um, kind of handle tough situations where so much of this game of startup stuff is about, you know, timing the market. Right. Um, and, you know, there's a chance that we were like a little early, right. This is, I don't know if you guys remember like Periscope on Twitter, um, but this was kind of like w- when that was taken off a little bit, but Periscope didn't quite take off. They were acquired by Twitter. Um, but I think we're, I mean, frankly, now in 2021, I think we're just starting this idea of like, you know, video broadcasting um, and interactive video broadcasting. Um, so product market fit, that's maybe the most powerful lesson I learned, if anything, in Silicon Valley, how important that is. Because you maybe, maybe a few years later in the future, maybe this thing would have been huge. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's something I carry with me today. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows and startup stuff. It's absolutely not. Um, and you're right. Like, you know, there's, there's, for what I've done, effectively, there's no playbook. Right. And, you know, it's been a good and bad thing where things have not quite worked out. Things have kind of worked out. I've done jobs that I, you know, maybe not going to be great at. I've, I've tried things that, you know, I learned a lot about myself and, um, they have shaped me who do I am, who I am today. So, um, yeah, um, tough playbook to follow. I'm not saying I'd recommend it to everybody, but I would recommend to anybody try and tech, like keep your options open. You don't need to do just consulting. You don't have to just do banking. You can, and that's awesome. Absolutely. But, um, there are some untrodden paths out there for everybody to try. And you know what? You can always, what Jeff told me, and I'm like, I was worried about jumping jobs. He's like, yeah, it's okay. Like you're a smart guy. I'll figure it out. And like, worst case scenario, you can always go back to school. So here I am <laughs> just, just get good grades in college. And then you figure the scores out and you know, it all work out. And uh, I'm very thankful to be here for sure. So hope that answers. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. And touching on like Periscope. I remember when Periscope came out like a couple of years ago, it was like, what, super hot out of South by Southwest and everyone's like, this is the next big thing. And then you have like uh, that hangout app, the party app. So it's just so yeah. interesting to see like, you can have like a good idea, but it could just be way ahead of the time and no one's ready to adopt it. Cause now you have like Clubhouse and all these different apps yeah. where people are just getting on and collaborating and blowing up. Uh, but I, I also really wanted to talk about, so like, let's say, you know, a lot of our audience could be our undergrads or people that are in consulting and they're thinking like, I want to go to the startup world. Are there, are there specific signals that you're looking out for when you're evaluating startups and determining like, this is where I want to work? Like, are you looking at like, who's invested in the startup? Um, like, who are the employees of the startup? Like, has the founder like had any exits in the past? Or like, what are some mm. other areas that you look at? 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, frankly, the companies I had chosen, I, I kind of thought of it as if I was playing VC a little bit, right? Where I'm finding impressive founders, I'm finding interesting markets. And, and personally, I'm, I want my like, you know, mind to be curious about where this could be, the space could be, what this team is, you know, able able to accomplish. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I guess you know, so. Yeah, Flexport's a unicorn now. Mindtickle is near unicorn status. Ethos is near. You know, they've raised over 100 million, half billion range. Uh, Bird Eyes getting up there too, with you know, uh, good things ahead. Um, you know, if there's a common thread amongst, you know, in identifying a startup, if you want to play VC yourself, some VC certainly something I'm trying to do. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think you look at leaders you admire and then everything's top down, right? Especially at a startup that early, it's like culture is absolutely set top down. Find an authentic leader who like actually gives a shit about his or her people, um, like number one, you know? Yeah, you can judge their competency per their previous experience, but, you know, I'm not, as a 22, you know, young kid, like I'm in very, I'm not in a great position to judge someone's professional competency who's in their 40s, 30, whatever. Uh, I don't know anything about the world at that point. I still don't know a whole lot about the world. But, you know, yeah, I'd say, look, if you're going to join a company, find something that honestly makes you curious about the problems. And if you care about the problem, I know this is kind of trite, but like, if you care about the problem, you'll, your mind will go in different directions. So I, I was curious about all these problems um, that each of these companies were solving. Uh, and, and, and frankly, I really admired the leaders at all of them. Um, and I think Jeff, for example, was, a, you know, in Tinzo, uh, Azora um, really kind of set the, the bar as to like, what does a great leader look like who can take a company to the to new heights? Um, Flexport, you know, Ryan Peterson, um, CEO, uh, CEO of Flexport, super passionate about what he's doing. I remember watching um, a YouTube video of, of Ryan. And this is so I joined like right after they raised their seed, right, right during their Series A raise. Um, and I'm watching this video, Ryan, I'm like, damn, this guy is endlessly curious about this problem of uh, democratizing uh, trade in the world and you know creating efficiencies around uh freight forwarding i'm like damn this guy's legit and he gives a shit uh and i'm like all right yeah this works and boom yeah they're a multi-billion dollar unicorn um so i mean i'm you know i'm taking guesses too but i think a lot of it starts with judging the character of of, of the leader because you know everything is top down it's at the tone <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a that's a really cool way to think about how you want to evaluate startups or go work at a startup is thinking like you're a VC and 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 really assessing that that leadership team, that leader. Um, and yeah. to build off of that, right? Like you, you want to assess that you're a VC because it, it's like you're almost investing in that in that company, right? And so um, and and a big part of that is is compensation. A big part of the compensation is equity and stock options. So I'd love for you to just dive a little bit deeper. You touched uh, a bit on this earlier. Like what is compensation at a startup like? How does that work? Um, and, you know, like if you can explain a little bit about stock options and equity as well, um, that, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess real brief, you know, one thing, if you join a Silicon Valley company, the expectation is you get some level of equity, right? So, I mean, going into it, yeah. I mean, if you're a junior person, you're not going to get a whole lot of equity. Um, but you, I mean, I'd say it's wise to understand, you know, kind of, you know, loosely what your percent of the, you know, shares outstanding would be. Right. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> uh, certainly was consideration at all these startups. Um, like when I joined, you know, mind tickle, that was the first like 13 people in the United States. So I was curious about my take there. Um, previously the, most of the team was, had been in India. I actually met the guys at mind tickle, in that Airbnb hacker house uh, when they had been raising with Excel for their seed. So the power of staying in touch and like uh, meeting interesting and, and really awesome people and no surprise, their leaders are awesome, great people and they're doing very well. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that really answers the question, but I, having a rough idea of, yeah, I mean, look, if you're an head engineer or VP of engineering, like you're gonna get a lot more equity. 
but there's a lot of good resources out there to evaluate the kind of market competitiveness of your of your equity. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That makes sense, and and definitely junior people don't get as don't get equity at all or as much equity. Um, but what about like how sales uh, compensation works and 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 commissions? Yeah. Um, can you can you provide some color around that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> All depends on the organization, but you know it's a leverage compensation structure where there's almost always a base that accounts for like maybe half, fifty percent of your total pay, 60, 70, maybe percent. Um, so yeah, base pay, and then typically there's a, there's an on-target number. So you have to bring in you know X number of leads or X you know X total pipeline. You have to bring in a million dollars of total pipeline that enters the funnel. Um, or you're maybe compensated by total closed one deals. Um, and typically if, you know, if you go over your number, right, that's what they call considered accelerators. So most of these startups have uncapped, uh, commission structures. So if you're 110% of quota, you're going to get an accelerator on top of that. So you'll be making more basically, um, per dollar that you generate for the business, um, yeah, um, that helps. Yeah, so yeah, and sometimes there's decelerators where if you're like below fifty percent, you'll make less than what your on-target earnings would have been. But you know, typically, if you if you do your job and do it well, and you're in a good good market, then you should hopefully have a shot at getting above your accelerators. Cool. Uh... Yeah, thanks for thanks for answering. I think that's always a, a question is if I'm going to go to a startup, how much am I going to get paid, especially in, in sales where it might be more commission based or lead based. Right. Yeah. Um, so to kind of bring it back to the structure of the company and, and, and the functions, you know, you've been a part of sounds like more on the on the sales and the go to market yeah. side of things. So we you know, we've talked about product management, we've talked about product marketing, we talked to a data scientist maybe it would be very helpful for you to explain um, and maybe throughout the life cycle of some of the companies you've been in as they've grown, how sales and marketing fit in to the organization and maybe some of the structures and processes you've been through with um, you know, engineering and product and design um, and, and leadership generally, how, how, how the organizations kind of flow and work together. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, still trying to figure it out, but um if you know on the sales and marketing front right uh, if you're thinking like you know a year nine nine months a year ahead of time the marketing team that's all they're thinking about nine to 12 months ahead how do we where, where do we need to go uh where are we going to find our customers um what message is going to resonate with them and you start building the relationships then right uh, i'm going to sim simplify this a great deal um uh, sales, right. Then sales more focused on the three, let's say, you know, up, up to nine months. So maybe one month to nine months in execution. Um, you've nurtured these relationships. Um, you have your message down and, uh, you need to make sure they buy something. So, um, yeah, at a high, I mean, this is SaaS, right? At the high level, you've got your lead generating funnel. You have your sales development organization, individual people, you know, cold calling, cold emailing, generating lists, um, working hand in hand with marketing, marketing are the one, you know, you know, spending money on AdWords, doing, you know, account-based marketing campaigns, 
uh, a lot of, you know, getting out in the field, doing events, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of how that works, super high level. Um, you want to get like product with my, my understanding of all that is? Maybe, maybe if you could um, explain like, you know, you're talking to customers all the time, right? As, as sales, how, how has your process been getting that feedback maybe back to the engineering and the product team to, to help build the roadmap out? Yeah, yeah. So certainly sales is reporting a lot of what they hear on the ground uh, as far as desired product requirements by individual customers or, or kind of different industries, right? Um, now, similarly, I'd served with MindTickle. I was actually in a post-sales um, implementation position. So I was managing our accounts um, on the West Coast. We had accounts like Nutanix and Cloudera, um, and we wanted to make sure we maintained those logos and had an opportunity to expand within those accounts. So um, I did a whole lot on the customer success and implementation side um, to gather requirements um, because I'm working closely with, you know, so, so these people bought the software, right? Um, but then after you, you've got a CSM who's managing that relationship and yeah, gathering requirements, understanding where else the product can help the organization um, and uh, yeah, continuing their relationship. So, I mean, you know, how every organization funnels these product requests, you know, it's all over the place, but you know, you know, oftentimes working with, you know, product managers work closely with sales teams. They work closely with CS teams and there's regular conversations about what you need to do to close a deal, right? Because at these, at these startups, it's like, you're all trying to get these logos, right? You're a mid-stage startup. It's all about the logo. Um, so what do we have to do to get this deal across the line? How quickly can product and engineering act to make sure this is part of our contract? Um, so... And this, this is all on the SaaS side, and, and you're yeah, happy to talk on the consumer side of things, which is different, different ballgame. But that's typically how, how the team kind of functions, in, in my opinion. Again, I don't know a lot, but that's what I've seen. Yeah, no, I think and you made an important uh, call out there, and I think it's great. You have experience both on the pre-sale side, where there's a lot of focus on getting customers and, and getting leads in to actually get them onboarded into using your products, you know, at least in the enterprise space, and then actually, you know, helping the customer get started when they want to use the product and then expanding their usage and, and consumption on the, on the post-sale side, right? Those are two different, very important functions, um, you know, within an enterprise, enterprise business. So um, yeah, great, great to call out. Absolutely. Yeah. Land and expand, right? Exactly. That's definitely the name of the game because a lot of these companies, they'll start with you. They might sign up, you know, X number of, you know, I don't know, licenses or something, right? They might spend just the minimum amount to, to get through the door, but then it's oftentimes up to the CSM and the account executive in tandem to find other opportunities to, to expand revenue on that account. Um, and oftentimes there, there are a lot of opportunities. So you, you develop new products in a year, right? You, you serve other customers within the organization better. So like MindTickle, we were, it was a sales enablement software we're initially enabling salespeople, right? Doing sales onboarding, sales training, like a learning management system. But a learning management system, if done well, can also train engineers. It can train, you know, other CSMs or any, anybody in the organization. So um, that was, for example, what I'd been more focused on. 
Juan, I know, I know in the last question, you kind of touched on the difference between selling to businesses and like selling like enterprise SaaS and then selling to consumers. So um, that was like a place I really wanted to jump into. And then beyond that, I really, I know you did a lot of like consumer facing sales and like product operations at Ito. So I'd really love to learn more about, you know, what was it like to be at such an early stage startup? Like you were employee number seven, working out of like an apartment. I think that that's what was on your LinkedIn. So I just love to learn like how, how you scale that company, the challenges you faced and, you know, like the risk you took really joining like such an early stage company. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, jumping in the ethos, um, that had been a super interesting transition. I had been in touch with those, the founders there um, for, for some time. I actually was, I was introduced to them um, probably a year before I started working there. Um, they were friends with, um, they're good friends with one of my good friends from, from Chicago. Um, and yeah, they started to build something and they needed some help. And um, I said I could help. And so, yeah, I joined in as the seventh person. We were working out of, out of an apartment, um, pretty, pretty classic beginnings. And right at, at that point, they had raised um, like some pre-seed kind of money, seed pre-seed somewhere in there. And um, they were looking to raise an A in the next, say, nine, 12 months. So um, that kind of became the goal. And I, and I jumped in very much as a generalist, we, we call the product operations, but it was certainly a, a bit of everything. And, you know, we were selling life insurance, right? We we're trying to, we were rebrand, you know, to this day, it's an awesome product, um, making life insurance more affordable for people and easier to sign up for. Um, so some things that I did there, right? Like I had to even get my, in order to talk to, um, in order to talk to prospective uh, clients, uh, I had to get my life insurance license. So uh, one of the crazy things I did is like, yeah, I literally sat for the life insurance test. Um, yeah, it's some random standardized testing center and uh, kind of crammed in uh, a bunch of life insurance knowledge along the way. Um, and so, yeah, I spent a lot of my time at Ethos, um, yeah, talking to clients, whether that's on, on the sales side, trying to get in, you know, some some new revenue and or new kind of, personas that we'd like to target, um, but also learning a lot about the product and what the market wanted out of the product. Did they value, say, ease of use and ease of sign up over anything else? Um, and really just testing the water on a bunch of hypotheses uh, so that when the Series A came around, um, we'd be ready to scale with, uh, with, with more proof um, and evidence behind the model we want to go to the market with. Um, but yeah, no, it was awesome. I work with some awesome, really awesome people there and Peter and Linky are, uh, co-founders there and, and, um, yeah, some of the, the, some young guns in Silicon Valley and they're building an honorable product to, to really help people. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, that was the experience to kind of signed up for when coming to Silicon Valley, right? Like this was, how do I build stuff with really awesome people who really care about their mission and, you know, I was super clear with the founders and I, I just enjoyed being around them and, and learning from them um, and just assisting wherever I could just bring value wherever you can. And so like, I'll spend, I spend a lot of my time seriously, like, you know, proceduralizing our call scripts, right? What are we going to say and why are we going to say it? You know, how many times should we, you know, you know, send an email to these people as a soft reminder to, Hey, sign up for a life insurance. Right. Um, 
you know, what, what did we want to do differently than everybody else was doing, you know, to, you know, what were we saying that was different? Um, and, and for me, it was a little different. Like I test, you know, my, I actually, I was, it was a benefit of life insurance when I was growing up, my dad died when I was 13. Um, and we would not have been able to stay in the same house, live in the same town, go to the same school, um, have the same life if we didn't have life insurance. So, um, I kind of carried that passion and which is rooted in truth, uh, on the phones and to my emails and to text messages, uh, to other people who had similarly wanted to protect their families. So, um, yeah, that was a, that was a really awesome experience. I, I learned a lot. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. And like, you know, you have the passion for the problem. You have, you know, like the expertise that helped build the company and you really like the founders and who you were, who you were working with. So it really kind of all came together, right? To like really give you a good experience. But I think we are running up on time. So I just wanted to pivot to like our last kind of segment, uh, which is really focused on, you know, like why did you, at the end, decide to come and do an MBA at Wharton and, you know, like, how are you thinking about your career after Wharton and like, you know, how are you kind of leveraging the resources at Wharton to help you get there? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, for me, you know, kind of going back to the advice I've been given, it's like, you know, if you, if you did, if you did what you had to do undergrad and you tell an honest and good story uh, for where you want to go, like there's going to be a lot of great MBA programs, um, that you'll have a shot at and not, yeah, super lucky to be a warden. And I couldn't be happier how it worked out, um, you know, kind of post-grad plans, right? I, I say, I, I would like to continue tooling up. This is, this, these are a couple of years where you, you tool up um, and kind of piece together your experiences. So how do I kind of coalesce everything I had learned and the thoughts I've had over the years uh, to be a better working professional. And, you know, ultimately I, I think I'd like to build something down the line, right? Um, but I don't think that that day's today. Um, I've never worked for a big company, right? That's one example. Um, would, would love to kind of dabble in, you know, true bigger tech, understand the playbooks they already have. What is an Amazon, Google, Facebook, whatever, what are they doing? Um, and how can I play my part uh, um, in doing that? So I, I think I could use a, a bit more of a proceduralized and structured learning experience to, you know, help me later in my career. Um, and be a better teammate. I can learn to be a better teammate. I've, I've, being a generalist at all these startups, uh, working sales, post sales, um, and I was largely, you know, given a map and said, go here on the map, and then bring back the gold, kind of. If that makes sense. Um, so I've been kind of a lone wolf in a lot of the work I had done, um, but I wanted to be a better teammate. And uh, Warden's emphasis on on the, on the team based is, you know, team based learning environment. Um, has, has already, you know, made me a better teammate and uh, I hope to be, you know, a, a better leader to some degree and yeah, maybe build some one day, but you know, VC and, and building stuff is super, super interesting, but I have a, a few things to take care of first, I think. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a, another large takeaway is like, you don't have to have, you don't have to plan everything in advance, like or so far in advance, you don't have to have everything figured out, like just let you know, try things, see what you like, see what you don't like, and uh, see where that takes you. Um, but that's awesome to, to, to hear that, you know, like, yeah, eventually, like, maybe you want to go go work in VC or one of these big tech companies. Um, are there any roles? Like, it, do you want to try a different role? Or do you kind of want to stay along, like the operations, the strategy, the, the go to market side? Like, are you are there any specific roles that sound uh, particularly interesting to you post grad? Yeah, 
You know, I think, you know, the idea of like corporate development or business development um, is super appealing. Um, it, it's kind of nebulously defined and depends on the organization what that means. But I think loosely what that means here is you're trying to figure out ways more inorganic means of growth for the company. Where else can I, what other holes can I poke in this business model or ways to, other ways to, to expect, expand what we're doing um, and kind of being creative and uh, modeling out ideas. So that's something I've, I've been very curious to try. Um, and then that's kind of versus more the organic side. When I think organic, I think, you know, you know, marketing sales funnel, right? Um, but, you know, yeah, I, I want to be in the strategic side. I'm fascinated by go-to-market strategy. And because um, I think so much of startups, right? People always talk about innovation through product, right? And, and it's very true. You need a great product to win, uh, you know, at least win big, right? Um, but I think people sometimes short how important innovation through distribution is, right? There's so many ways to find new customers or to, to reframe your messaging to, to get, a, get a new subset of customers. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by that question. How else can I innovate around distribution and uh, to, to get uh, an awesome product in the hands of people who could really, could really use it. So um, that's, that's the focus for my next steps. And for anyone who wants to go on the same path, you know, I actually wouldn't say don't go on the same path, but don't be afraid to experiment with stuff, right? You know, if you're, if you're smart and hardworking, like, and you treat people well, and I, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to fail. I mean, there might be times where it feels like everything sucks and maybe you messed up and, you know, um, it's hard, but, um, I think you kind of follow in, in a, you know, uh, a non-traditional playbook, things can work out, it just takes patience and continuing to do the right thing. But, yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That hearing it. It's interesting. You're like innovation on product and innovation, you know, on distribution channels and like go to market and all those different areas. Uh, but I know, I know we're coming up on time and John, we can honestly talk about this for hours on end. Yeah. When you're back in Philly, we're going to have to catch up with lunch and, you know, get Nigel in on it and everyone. But um, absolutely, I think this was really helpful. Thanks for like spending the time and, you know, talking about your career, the paths you took, you know, really, I think it really helped bring a lot of transparency into like what the sales look like, what does working at a startup look like, what does strategy and biz off at a startup look like? So really yeah, no, no, happy to be here. And, uh, to talk to this stuff and if anyone else you know that reaches out about the podcast uh has any questions you know feel free to reach out to me uh you have my email john pep at, mm -hmm. at wharton.upenn um and yeah yeah I, I hope everyone takes a shot at, at things that they think is, is worth the shot and sometimes people hold back but you know what there's a lot of routes to take and there's infinite paths to success um so when you're young, you might as well try to experiment because, you know, at the end of the day, you're probably going to be okay. So, yeah. Thanks, thanks for your time, guys. It's been fun. Awesome. Yeah. Appreciate it, John. And uh, listeners, uh, make sure to just let us know if you have any feedback. We're always open to feedback. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Um, and, uh, yeah, everybody have a great rest of your week. Thanks again, John. Appreciate having you on. You got it. Adios, guys. Yeah. Thanks, John. Later. Thanks, John.